0: Hello there, church. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for letting me into your home. I'm so delighted to be bringing the word. So honored and privileged um, that you would invite me to, to bring the word specifically to you guys today. I'll be talking about church shifts, missional ministry in a spectator world. My name is Mosa. Um, And I am a part of the His People family. I'm from every nation, Johannesburg. And if you don't know me, I am a part of the church. I was once there for almost two years, serving and partnering with what God is doing there. And so my partnership has not ended. And this is a continuation of just my journey, my story with you. I just want to start by just introducing where we are at. It's a Sunday morning. And usually what our Sunday would typically look like is we would be Waking up, getting ready to get together with the assembly of the saints. We would wake up at a certain time knowing that the assembly is gathering. You would prepare yourself. You would sometimes even prepare your heart. You would consider the people who need to come along the journey with you. And we would gather in the assembly. And we would gather for one purpose. We would gather for one reason. And would like us to just look at that picture in scripture that what it means when we gather as a church, what it means that we co- when we come together, what is that picture that we are representing? Why do we gather? So in Revelations 5, verse 11 and 14, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying, this is saying it with the loud voice, And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the picture that we usually are emulating when we worship, when we come together on a Sunday. In this picture, in our gatherings on Sunday, it is very clear who is the center. It is very clear why we come together. It is for the Lamb. It is for Jesus. It is for the Godhead that sits on the throne. We come together and we make big, we make High, we exalt God. We exalt and make big of our Father um, who is in heaven, our Father who is with us through Jesus Christ. But not today. Today, we wake up at a time that is most convenient for us. Um, we start with whatever is urgent, whatever is important. And when we are ready, we sit down and we get ready to stream the service. Sometimes, we don't even have to get out of bed the service the gathering is coming to us this season has magnified a lie it's magnified a lie that we see everywhere the lie that we are the center of the world that human beings revolve around human beings we we blog we have people who follow our opinions we tweet people like our tweets they follow us on twitter we we start YouTube channels and people subscribe to our channels. Our worlds are about us. And in this season, our church world has become about us. Contrary to the picture in the beginning where our church spaces, our worship spaces are about God, are about him who sits on the throne. To him be the power in the church, glory and honor forever. We're living our best lives. We're believing our own truths. What's happened in this season is we've become professional spectators. We were already, we had PhDs in analysis, PhDs in giving feedback, PhDs in criticizing the culture that we exist in, the world that we exist in has taught us to be great critiques, to be great spectators, to be passive, to observe. This season hasn't helped us. We, have, we are consumers of everything. We are consumers of all things good. We know what we like and who needs to give it to us. Even in the church, didn't start in this season. We behave as if God's actions should revolve around us. God must do what I want. God must be the kind of God that I need. God must be worshipped my way. We even get to pick which sermons we like to listen to, what we want to hear God say. But there is no confusion in heaven. God is in the center of the throne. God sits on his throne with no competition, with no close second. He is preeminent. And I pray that that through this, we would recognize the shifts that have happened in the church, the shifts that have happened in our lives, and we would be able to take a moment and reflect, is God still at the center? Is God still the one whom my life revolves around? Are my actions a reflection of the fact that God is at the center? Can I pray? Father, I pray as we we gather around your word, as we gather around um, just the, the message that you've prepared for us today. Lord, I pray for a reverence, Lord God, in our hearts. Father, I pray that we would see you, Lord Jesus, as you are. God that the revelation of Jesus would be revealed to us, Father that we would that we would be able to analyze as we have analyzed ourselves that we would be able to analyze ourselves as a church as a body, and Lord that we would be able to come and see how it is that we're worshiping you and whether this worship Lord God is the worship that you have asked us to give that the Lord is this is this the worship Lord God, that you want. Is this the worship that we are bringing? God, I pray that you would bring a fragrance of worship, Lord God, that we'd ascend to heaven like sweet perfume. God, help us as we gather, that we would see you, that we would reflect you, that we would become you and help others do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So. We'd like to just start off by giving a background of just the church. I know Pastor Jenny preached last week and she spoke a little bit about the church and so wanting to just develop on that and talking about this church, this assembly, this gathering, the household of God. So there are different ways that we can view the church, and I just want to highlight a few of them just for us to have a theological understanding of where this came from. Because obviously we sometimes can think of church as the thing we do on Sunday, but just understanding where it came from, what its purpose was, so that that can frame our hearing of the word today. So there is four different ways of looking at the church. The first one being linguistically. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I know that we've spent time on just looking at the church as the ecclesia. And ecclesia meaning sent out once, right? It simply means that Christ had assembled this group of people to listen to his voice and to do his will. So I think that's important, right? It's a group of people who were sent out, who were assembled by Christ to listen to his voice and to do his will. Listen to his voice Do his will. Right? And then there are different scriptures that that speak to this. I'm going to go through them. Called out of this present age. Right? So we've been called out of this present age. That's Galatians 1, verse 4. Called out of darkness into light. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Called with a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Called with a high calling. Philippians 3, verse 14 called with a heavenly calling, Hebrews 3 verse 1. So when it says we are the called out ones, we are the called ones, these are the scriptural references of what that means and how we can dig deeper into our understanding of our identity as the called out ones. And it says against these, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail. Matthew 16 verse 18, God has called the church to be an advancing body. A body that moves forward. If you could just picture this picture of an army advancing, an army moving forward, God has called the church to be an advancing body, pushing back against the spheres of darkness in every sphere. Every sphere of darkness, the church is advancing and it's pushing back. It's not reacting, it's not defending, it is advancing, it is pushing back the darkness. The church was never meant to be comfortable, complacent, status quo, unmoving, or stagnant. That's never what the church, that, that's never what God had in mind when he created the church. And you see this in Acts chapter 2, the church is on the move. You even see it in Exodus, when God is moving with his people, they were never standing still. So it shows you that when God assembles a people, when he assembles a people to his voice and to his will, that those people were created to be on the move. This needs to be the battle cry in every church to see the power of God manifested in individual lives. And I like that word battle cry because it continues with this metaphor of war, right? Of an army that is charging, that is moving forward. And our battle cry is that we are advancing against the kingdom of darkness. So in Acts 1 verse 8, a familiar scripture that happens and in the book of Acts, we call it the birth of the church, right? The church that was prophesied in the Old Testament, what we're seeing in the New Testament in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? And that is, that is the charge to the church, right? That you will go, you will be my witness. You will receive this power, but this power has a purpose so that you would go and that you would be my witness, and I like that word witness. You know, witness is obviously the traditional definition, which is you are going to explain what you have seen. You're going to give an account, right? So you think about the witness in a court of law is explaining, giving an account of what they have seen. But theologically, the word witness, if you go back to some of the original definitions, it's it's the word, it's to witness with your life. So if you think about what Christ did, he he witnessed the word, he witnessed Everything that he was saying with his life, he gave his life up. So the original root of that word witness is the word martyr. So it's a kind of surrender that I believe in what I am saying so much that I'm willing to die for it, which is what Jesus did. He's like, I'm not just giving you cheap words. I'm willing to lay my life down for them to witness. The second picture that, that gives us an illustration of the church is just the metaphor. And the metaphors that we see in relation to the church, you've got the bride, you've got the body, you've got the building, and you've got the family. You know, with the bride of Christ, I know we're mostly familiar with that one. We've got the body, members, that Second Corinthians 12 picture that we are members of one body, and the body is Christ, the head of the body who is Christ, right? So we are one as a church with one body. The building, right? That whole picture of Christ is the cornerstone and we are the living stone. So we, we are together a holy temple, a building that houses the presence of God. And Christ is the cornerstone. We are the living stone. We are the temple of the Lord. And that's a metaphor that you see consistently throughout the New Testament, that we house the presence of God and we allow people to come into the presence of God by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we honor God, by the way that we attach to the cornerstone. And then the family, right, that we are a believing community, we're the household of God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So all of these metaphors give us a picture of the church, give us a picture of the perfect stainless bride um, in definition. The third one is just biblically. Um, it talks about the prophesied church that was prophesied in the Old Testament and came to life in the new testament it is a part of god's eternal purposes so important that the church is not just a means to an end it is a part of god's eternal purposes it is a manifestation in time of god's eternal purposes so right now in time we get to manifest something that god is trying to show us or something that god is almost promising about the future about eternity it's so much bigger than our sunday service Here's what I love. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might show, might now be made known to the rulers of the authorities in heavenly places. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be known to the authorities in the heavenly places. There is so, this is some of the prophetic picture of the church. This is the the role, the purpose of the church, right? And this is what it was created to do. Um, and it's so important because if we reduce it to what it serves us, how it makes us feel, the things that we like it to be, and we don't exist in the church in a way that God intended us to be, we end up lowering it so low and taking it for granted because we don't know and understand its its purpose, its intent, and what God what God had in mind and still has in mind for the church. And the last one is that prophetic picture. The whole now and then and the last days, the ways in which the church was prophesied into being and continues to prophesy of an eternal picture. So that's just the background of just some of the theology around church and just some of the bigness, right, that church is. And I encourage you to read more, to to see this body, this entity, this bride, this family that we are a part of and the ways that we are called out and called with to participate in church. Great. So that's just the background to to what I really wanted us to get into, which are some of the shifts in the church, right? So a lot has changed. Some change good, some change bad. But I want to recognize some of the good shifts that are happening in the church. And I, I would love for us to participate in this shift, to embrace this change and also to see what needs to change inside of us. What needs to change so that we can participate in the work that God is doing? So where are we now as a church? You know, do we know the times? the sons of Issachar who knew the times. Do we know the times? What are we discerning? As we're praying, you know, there's such a, a change that has been ushered in through this pandemic, right? And it's it's causing us to reflect. So although the pandemic is not the greatest thing, it is a bad thing. And we know that it's, it doesn't come from the Lord, but we also know that God uses all things, right? He uses all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what is God ushering in? What is he teaching us as we pause and reflect what are we learning? What are we hearing? What are we discerning from the Lord? So I think some of these um, these these um, shifts that I'll be talking about are gleaned from Paul Monaring. I know some of you might know Paul Monaring. He is originally from the Bethel Church, and he is such a great influencer in governance. And he's been speaking these things for a long time, but we are having the privilege of processing them in this time that we are in. So the first shift in the church is talking about this move from pers- pastoral to apostolic and a better way to say it is from keeping people to sending people and so what that is is like you know back in the day when we thought of the shepherd when you thought of the leader of the church as the shepherd and that is still a legit thing but when it's only that a pastor a shepherd what a shepherd does is he wants to keep his sheep safe right you're pastoring them you're keeping them in here safe protected from harm you know don't go anywhere now, that's, that's a valid thing, right? Because in every season of our lives, we need to heal. We need to be taken care of. The broken need to be healed and restored and come into a place of healing, come into a place of being family to be made whole. But how many of us know that that cannot remain like that? You know, as I was thinking about this word, I was thinking about parenting. You can do that. You should do that with your children for a season. But ultimately, your children were not designed to stay at home with you forever. In fact, if you raise your children in a way that they cannot exist outside of your space, you're doing them a great disservice. You're disempowering them. You are being a dysfunctional parent. And so this move from an apostolic leadership, an apostolic leading of the church is understanding that the church needs to be sent and that although we pastor we nurture we gather the sheep that the the purpose of the church is to go and so the movement of the church the church becoming more missional is what the church was designed and created to do you look at the book of acts the church that is on the move that movements that are coordinating mobilizing moves that are that are bringing sustainable hope and change in every space that they enter into so that is important so on the one hand, we are living stones, right? We, there is a building that God is building through us, right? So that's that sense of not moving, right? You're creating a sense of stability. Um, we are a temple, a dwelling place of God on the earth, right? So that, that whole picture of stability. And then on the other hand, with the ecclesia, with the sent out ones, we go. We, are on, we have been commissioned to be on mission. And we need to hold these things in tension, but we can't do the one that's more comfortable, which I can imagine is the one where we stay and we are kept here. That's the first transition. The first shift is moving from pastoral to apostolic, which is keeping to sending. And I pray that as I say this, you're not thinking our pastor needs to be more apostolic. All of us need to be more apostolic because all of us are kings and priests. All of us have a people that we have been allocated. We all make disciples. So how do we make disciples? You make disciples not by keeping them safe, but you nurture them. You help them get healed, broken, restored so that they can go. So some examples I was thinking about moms on mission, not trying to keep their children in the nest, but equipping them for the world marketplace ministers on mission. You are not raising people in business just for your company, but you're thinking of these as arrows that will change the world. Businessman on mission, you're not just thinking about your profitability, but you're thinking about how this business can serve the world, how this business can be a gateway of peace, how this business can heal communities. How does this business solve the issues of the world? Because this is what Jesus did when he was on mission. Students on mission. How is your education, your pursuit of education inviting others to come on the journey, to get to know God, to, be, to know who they are, even as they're failing sometimes, to know that that doesn't define them? What does it look like to be a student on mission? The second transition is a move from church to kingdom, right? Which is moving from God's part in our church to our part in God's kingdom. Right, So you can see that this is a shift from smallness to bigness. It's a shift from our little local to God's universal. Um, The church is not the kingdom of God. The church is a part of building the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God. When we reduce the fullness of God's glory to our little gathering, our God becomes small. We are building God's kingdom right? We're building God's kingdom. We're not making monuments for ourselves. So it's not about me and the flock that I'm entrusted to you and your connect group, my worship team, my inner healing team. All of this is a part of a bigger kingdom that we get to build. So when we, when we, when we make things about us, our God seems small to us, but it's because of, it's an idolatry that we do and we're creating a God as opposed to worshiping the creator who's so big. So we need to look at our goals. We need to look at our our goals as a body, but our goals individually are they God centered or are they you centered? Are we Christ centered or am I or are we me centered? Right? If we achieve our goals, so let's say it happens and all our dreams come true and everything we ever wanted came to life, who will get the glory? Will God? They, will God ultimately receive the glory? Will people look at those achievements and go, Wow, God lives! God is alive! God is beautiful because of our actions, because of our dreams, because of our dreams coming true. So I just think of um, Cain and Abel and that sacrifice, right? So Cain and Abel both brought the sacrifice to the Lord. And for whatever reason, one of those sacrifices were not pleasing to the Lord. But we know, what we do know is that they brought the sacrifice, but but there was one that was not pleasing to the Lord. And and we don't know what that is, but I want to say, are our sacrifices pleasing to the Lord? Does it matter to us whether our sacrifices, what we're bringing to God, whether they're pleasing Him? Are we Are we searching? Are we inquiring? Does that is it important to us to know whether this is important to the Lord or not? Whether this pleases the Lord or not? This one I love. This third shift, right? From big church to big people. Another way of, of saying that is from being big here to being big there, right? And that's Every believer being a minister, not a ministry that revolves around one person or not a few strong individuals in the church, but every believer a minister and then every believer on mission, right? So it's not just that, oh, great. Now you can pray for people. It's great. Now you can pray for people so that you can pray for people everywhere. It's great. Now you're a minister. You can minister anywhere and everywhere because the church doesn't exist for the church, right? The church is the one entity that exists for its non-members. So we, we define and we look at the success of our church, not by how many are gathering on Sunday. But how many of those who are gathering on Sunday could reach the world around them? So when I see a hundred of us gathering on Sunday, I'm thinking, sure, each a hundred of those people during the week are potentially reaching five people, encouraging five people, prophesying over five people, praying for the sick to be healed. They are bringing strategy into their business that is going to... change the areas of corruption. They are they are speaking out against injustice. They are recognizing things that are wrong and they're saying, hey, don't do that. That is the church on mission. So when I think of the people who gather on the Sunday, I'm not going, oh, great. We had this many people like our page. We had so many people watch our YouTube video. No, I'm thinking we have people on mission and the world is going to change because they know who they are. They're worshiping God through everything that they do. That is the church alive. Big churches do not change cities, but big people do, right? So it's the people in the church who have, been, who have come together in this, in this assembly, who have come to be inspired, who have come to worship God together, who have come to be reminded of who's in the center, who then leave on a Monday with all of that to go and make change. So, so big people are the ones who change the city. We as a church empower big people to go and change the world. So I I was thinking through this family business, right, where this uh, father has built up this great legacy, this great business that is going to make money for generations. And the purpose of that was so that his family, his generation can benefit from this business, right, forever. And then you find children who go, no, I don't want to be a part of that business, right? I want to do my own thing. And the disconnect that that comes and the disappointment from, oh, but this was designed, it can only work. This family legacy, this business only works when the children take it upon themselves to continue with the legacy. And so sometimes when we build church, we're building like this big business that is making a lot of profit. But we're not thinking about the people who are going to have to sustain it. You know, church has a, a life a light, an eternal life, church has an eternal life so we constantly need to be thinking about empowering other people not for the legacy of the building but for the legacy of the kingdom that is being built through the church our discipleship should be radical I love this line and I know I love talking about discipleship and you know that But I just thought, you know, radical doesn't always mean packing our bags and moving to India or packing our bags and selling everything we own so that we have nothing left, right? But radical means obedience all the time. Radical is from death to life, from darkness to light. Radical is transformation. So when we say we are followers of God, God is on the move. God is changing things. God is constantly in the work of transformation. So our discipleship needs to be that, that people are moving from darkness to light, helping other people move from darkness to light, that people are being transformed and helping other people transform. This is, this is what it means to be a living stone. Be marked by radical obedience. What are we doing with our time, our finances, our relationships, and our priorities? Are all these things pointing and reflecting a people who are devoted, who are worshiping Jesus Christ? Is everything we do rooted in the glory of God, in God receiving the glory. How are we doing as a body, as a temple, as living stones who house God's presence? How are we doing? It's so important that we check, right? Because in a culture where we've been taught to analyze other things, where we've been taught to criticize other things, the culture hardly ever tells us to look within, to look at what God is expecting of us and how we're doing. So I'm asking you to just check. And I hope that this reminds us of the beauty of the church, the beauty of this beautiful, beautiful body of Christ that we get to be a part of, and that and that it would remind us of what it means when we gather, and that although in the season we can't gather in the ways that we used to we would we would remember what this picture of gathering was communicating, what God was communicating, so that we do not lose the essence of this eternal picture that exists in us as the church. Do not forsake the calling of God's people together to worship. Don't forsake it. Don't stop gathering to worship. Do not forsake worshiping in song. It is unique to the Christian faith. Not concerts, right? Because we are now looking at people worshiping. No, do not forsake worship. Do not forsake worshiping together. Find ways to do it. Let's worship Jesus. It's who we are too. It's what we were built for. Let's worship. Let's keep worshiping Jesus. Worship in word through the sermon. Worship in the way that you listen to the word. Worship in the ways that you share the words with others. Whether through your WhatsApp status, your Facebook status, let's worship the Lord in everything that we do. Let's not get swept in this wave of the virus and everything that people are saying and what's common on on the social media platforms. Let's worship the Lord in everything that we do. Let's worship in the sacraments, right? Our communion. Um, the things that, that remind us of the risen Christ. And, and our communion is not that we believe that Christ is the actual bread that he eats, right? But we do believe that something supernatural happens when we partake in this in the sacraments. Because he says, I will be with you. I will remind you. So there is something supernatural that happens when we take communion, when we break bread together. Let's keep doing that. It's not just a symbol. It's a little bit more than just a symbol. Um supplication times in our in our corporate sessions let's make time to to plead with the Lord together to to lift up prayers as a community. You know churches all over the world are praying like if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. And turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and heal their land. These prayers are going up to God all over the place. Let's keep it going. Let's meet over the phone. Let's pray on Zoom. Let's keep praying as a body, as a gathering, as an assembly of God. This is who we are. Let's keep sending. Let's keep sending people out. Let's gather to be inspired, gather to worship, but then let's keep sending people out. The sending doesn't pause. Because of the season, in fact, we need more people to come on the mission of God. Um, let's witness for the gospel. Let's witness with our mouths, let's witness with our lives, but let's also be prepared to die for the gospel. And Christ asks us. Let's die to ourselves daily. Let's surrender our very lives. And surrender is really. It's not that one off thing that we did when we said yes to Jesus. Surrender is a perpetual journey. Let's keep on surrendering our lives to the Lord. Taking ourselves off the throne. And making sure that Jesus reigns. We are called to worship together. So that we can be sent out. So. Thank you for allowing me to remind you, to refresh the conviction of why church is important, of why gathering as an assembly is important, and why we need to be doing this as often as we can in the many ways that we can, and we need to be creative about the ways that we do it. In seasons, in places like China, where church is not allowed, people are gathering, have been gathering for years, finding creative ways to fulfill the scriptures, to be obedient to the scriptures. So we too have that same challenge in this season to find ways to worship the anointed one, to worship the one who sits on the throne. To him be the glory and in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can I pray this over you? It's Ephesians 3 from 14. Um, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in His love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Just want to sing this hymn over you in worship. Just as I was preparing the sense of God reviving the church. Um, so I just sing like a, a chorus of it and just praying that it would wash over you and remind you and refresh you. Sivu Go Jesus. jesu. amen. Sivu Go to Jesu, see, you sell my calleg me in Vucello. My calleg me, amen. My calleg. Father, revive us. Make us new. May this revival start with us, Lord God. May we participate in your work of revival. Father, I pray for the person who needs to hear this, Lord God, but the person who needs personal revival. And if you are there and you have never surrendered yourself wholly and fully to Christ, I invite you to come, I invite you to to submit yourself to the Lord. I invite you to yield your life to Jesus Christ. Give it all, surrender all. He is eternally worthy of your sacrifice, your your praise, your everything, and in him you will find the fullness of your life, your purpose, your identity. So once you surrender your life to the Lord, if that's you, don't you pray this with me, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that the separation between you and I was caused by my sin. And I pray that you would forgive me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, but today I give my life to Jesus. I pray that from today, I am a son and a daughter of God. I receive the gift of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that for the first time, Please could you get in touch. We would love to pray with you, walk with you, get you into a place of discipleship. Um, The next steps will be communicated with you. Thank you so much for the honor and the privilege of worshiping with you this morning through word, of encountering God, wrapping ourselves around his word. I pray that as we are challenged that we'd be moved on mission because this is what the Father has for us. God bless you.